The Sydney Opera House acknowledges the Gadigal people, traditional custodians of Jubagali, the land on which the Opera House stands. We honour the long Gadigal history of gathering and storytelling and acknowledge the strength and resilience of First Nations people and communities past and present. Welcome to Ideas at the House, a podcast featuring talks and ideas from the Sydney Opera House. First Nations women's activism is a continuation of a long history of matriarchs, an ancient line of women and gender-diverse peoples who embody kinship and moral responsibility to community and country. In this session from All About Women 2023, a multi-generational panel featuring Jackie Huggins, Teela Reid, Marlene Longbottom and host Courtney Fakwandi looks at the movements black women have mothered and led alongside fights that could be considered feminist issues like equal pay and justice, violence and coercive control, leadership and movement building. This talk was recorded live at the Sydney Opera House in March 2023. Straight up, I feel like we need to acknowledge the amazing prowess of these three women and there's a lot of queer Indigenous women in the room at the moment that I want to celebrate as well, as well as uh, other First Nations women. So I feel like you deserve a standing ovation straight up because... (laughs) All right. Uh, Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Courtney Fuquandi. I'm a proud bachelor and Gubby Gubby woman here as your moderator for the Matriarchies and Movements panel. Um, Thank you so much for coming uh, along this afternoon. I'm uh, joined by three incredible women who I want to allow to introduce themselves. Um, We'll we'll start with you, sis. Yama, Yuindi, Tila, Nadu, Winang Nangay, E, Yinjamara, Marangay, May, Gadigabu, Nurumbangabu. Hello everyone, I'm Tila. I acknowledge the first peoples to be born to this country and I pay my respects to the Gadigal people as the first peoples of this country. Um, And I acknowledge that their sovereignty has never been ceded, nor has any First Nations sovereignty been ceded across this continent. I'm just foremost a proud Wiradjuri and Wawan woman who just so happens to do a little bit of law on the side. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Watamoli, everybody. Um, Good evening. Uh, My name is Jackie Huggins and I am a Bidjara and Birigabajuru woman from, um, I nearly said Cairns, but that's not the case, from (laughs) Queensland, (laughs) of course, um, Marlene's from Cairns at the moment. Um, But look, um, yeah, been around for quite some time, as as you can see by my beautiful uh, community grey hair, uh, (laughs) which I love, yeah. Um, And um, I I guess it's always uh, great to be talking about these issues. I... I, um, never tire of it, but um, I do get tired sometimes, but uh, <laughs> I don't tire of the, to- of the topic or, or the, um, the conversations that uh, we're having, and, and so, so glad to be amongst uh, beautiful young uh, black women, and uh, believe me, anything under 60 these days is young for me. <laughs> Thank you. Last but not least. Uh, Walwani Ninjuan, my name is Marlene Longbottom. I'm a Yuan woman. 
um, from the south coast. I come from a little mission called Jeringer or Roseby Park down in Nara. Uh, I currently live on Gimoy Wallaburi Yadinji country, so I need to ensure that people know that there's that connection with Queensland for me. And I'd like to acknowledge country um, and place for where we are today and where everyone has travelled from. Um, I'm not too sure what else you want me to talk about, but I'm just kind of, I'm honoured to be here with such esteemed um, knowledge holders. And yeah, just thanks for having me. I won't let you off uh, that easy, actually. Uh, <laughs> Marlene's recently just won, actually, just very, very recently, has won the Cultra and overall winner for the Shoalhaven Woman of the Year. How are we? Good. Yeah, sweet. Glad to be here sitting with a matriarch. Mm-hmm. Seriously, it's unreal. Um, yeah, it's powerful. Love it. You will be one day, girls. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, and it happens very quickly. But <laughs> proud to be your matriarch tonight. <laughs> All of you. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, Arnie, I'm going to ask you here in the middle. Um, yeah. I want to quote from your, your amazing book, uh, to my mind, you can't speak about the need for leadership without our, within our communities without being prepared to take on the responsibility yourself. Um, can you tell us a bit about when this clicked for you and what you deem this responsibility to be? Yes, and that amazing book was Sister Girl, was it? Yes, it was. Okay. Yes, it is. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I do have two books out this year and a, a third on its way um, this year as well. So um, I've been writing furiously and um, I love the art of writing and uh, it's wonderful. Leadership, in terms of leadership, look, um, I I suppose it's pretty apt um, because you're in soccer, aren't you? (laughs) Yeah, and um, Courtney knows the rules and all that and and you don't have to be the captain of the team to do leadership roles at all, you know. Every single uh, mother... Um, every mother who was at home um, with her children and her grandchildren uh, lead in that family. Um, there are some people who feel very uncomfortable about uh, calling themselves um, leaders. Um, fortunately, I'm not in that category. <coughs> I think I've earned it after four decades of being in the Aboriginal struggle. Um, you know, sometimes it's three steps forward and two back, and we're still doing that today. But we need our leaders. Back in the day, um, when I was um, your ages here, um, there weren't many um, Aboriginal women who were uh, leaders, quote, leaders. Um, so it's a funny thing, because I was uh, 23 when I first went to Canberra, and uh, to work in the Department of Aboriginal Affairs. And um, the person who mentored me the most was the late and the great Charles Perkins. And uh, he had a group of his guys called Charlie's Angels. (laughs) Really? Fair dinkum. And it it, it was amazing (laughs) that, you know, I got my leadership uh, points from them And I must say, later on, of course, there were great women uh, like uh, the late um, Dr Evelyn Scott, who still remains my greatest political mentor uh, from the old Council for Aboriginal Reconciliation. She was that beautiful woman 
with the, 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 the black hat um, and uh, she's an Aboriginal South Sea Islander woman, uh, a great, um, uh, great matriarch herself and uh, a great woman. So I had throughout my, um, uh, throughout my career um, these wonderful people around me and plus and, uh, the greatest matriarch of all, which was my mother, uh, Rita Huggins, who fought uh, for the 1967 referendum. She was a political activist in Brisbane in an organisation called OPAL, One People of Australia League, by which Neville Bonner was the, uh, was the chair. So as a young girl, I grew up watching, um, watching all this and I couldn't help but uh, know that my fate would be determined by those great women in particular that... Um, uh, that uh, were doing the hard stuff, the struggles uh, in those days. So leadership, it's, it's all-encompassing and, um, you know, it's, it's great to see, for me, this next generation of uh, uh, leaders coming through and the ones after them. So um, uh, the millennials now and the ones who will be there in the future. So I always say it's, it, it'll be great, you know, to... Um, you know, to know that you leave this place, um, not yet, but uh, not for a long time, but in good hands. And I really do feel that. I, I see it in the art world. Uh, I see it in the, um, in the uh, political world, social world, and, um, you know, just so many of our, our uh, women now are extremely, extremely educated, not only in the Western sense, but in their community ways too. And I think when you have that combination of both, you're, you're on fire. No one can take that from you. I love that. I love that so much. Um, Tila, I might move to you here. Aboriginal women have our own models of leadership demonstrated, and that's um, also quoted from uh, Doctor's book. Can you share more about, um, about <coughs> this and your thoughts on how we intersect with mainstream feminism today? Um, it's an interesting question. I think any conversation or yarn about this notion of feminism or however a Western society kind of conceptualises it has to start with the fact that this colony of Australia was absolutely founded off the back of black women um, and the sexualisation and the violence I think of black women that um, has inevitably meant in relation to the movements that we've seen and movements that have changed the course of our nation um, have in reality been shifted and led and I think powered by matriarchs and black women. And when we talk about the matriarchy and how that's defined, I don't think the notion of feminism personally um, is broad enough to really even begin to conceptualise it at the moment. You know, Arnie Eileen talks about it, Morton Robinson talks about it um, from a sovereign standpoint. And I think until this country begins to actually have a hardcore conversation about the fact that our matriarchal kinships are our governance systems and that is how um, we have been able to sustain our kinships with a sense of circular love and care for country and one another and not necessarily in a hierarchy, which I think is the way in which um, 
mainstream feminism has often um, tried to pitch itself to lean in, to break through the glass ceiling, to do this, to do that. Um, and I've often wondered, especially in partly in my profession, um, how how I navigate those different spaces. Um, and I tried to have a go at kind of writing about it in my last essay, The Power of the First Nations Matriarchy, and how a lot of our black matriarchs um, still hold that authority mm. within our um, communities that I don't think right now mainstream is really grasping. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, Art and I were on the West Coast a couple of weeks ago there mm. talking about how this is eternally just a love for, for blackfellas. Yep. It's a love for who we are. It's, you know, so much of uh, the way in which Australia has colonised this nation has attempted to... Let's be real, we have to start talking the truth about the way it's, you know, practised genocide in our country, the way in which sometimes white women have played a role in that. Um, And until we can actually sit with the discomfort of the truth and the reality of that, I don't think that we, you know are going to grow as a nation when we're trying to deal with so many systemic issues we're seeing now. I mean, it's no surprise um, why the highest incarcerated cohort on this continent right now is First Nations women. That is the reality. You know, we're, we're extremely privileged to sit here and have this conversation when at the end of the day, so many of our kinships are so disenfranchised and disrupted um, as a result of, I think, the legacy of colonialism. And when we have these conversations, we need to talk about um, the stories that happened here on this country, um, the invasion, the site of invasion. You know, again, I, had, I gave this speech um, in on Camarago country, uh, I think it was this week, I can't remember now, but it was about remembering, you know, there's a, there's a new suburb in Sydney called Barangaroo. When you Google it, it, it comes up with these massive buildings, when in fact, Barangaroo was a warrior. Mm. She's a matriarch. Like, these, these narratives that Australia tells itself about itself, I think we really actually need to start to get honest about um, the way in which the legacy of people like Barangaroo, black women, the matriarchy has actually um, confronted the violence of colonialism. And I do hope that um, those who do enjoy calling themselves feminists actually start to do that work as well. 100%. Great point you brought up before, before I got a little bit too fangirl at the start. Um, the, um, I wanted to acknowledge as well, we here as black women, there are a lot of black women that, that can't be here. And we want to acknowledge yeah. our sisters inside, our baby girls, uh, you know, in youth detention, um, mm. in out-of-home care, and our sisters who are fighting for us every day. And our, the thing about black women um, from my learning so far and from being one is that our hands are never empty. Um, no matter how high we climb in whatever we call success, mm. uh, whether it be in the Western world or, uh, you know, or otherwise, I think our hands are always full holding the hands of the rest of the community with us. Mm-hmm. And um, it reminds me of something we were just talking about uh, backstage of hashtag titterism. Um, 
I wanted to. <laughs> it's the titterhood. The titterhood. Titterhood. That's it. Um, and I had a great, a great yarn um, by Dr. Marlene and uh, Dr. Can you tell us a bit about how, how you were, um, yeah, I guess, subject to, to titterism in, uh, in real life? Wow, titterism. I grew up around a lot of titters. I was always the youngest. Um, and I grew up around a lot of aunties. Um, and, yeah, so I saw the titterism at that level as well. So um, titterism is something for me that's, um, that's really important because it's what holds me safe as well as fills my cup, but also corrects me when I need to be corrected. I think, um, Annie, you, spent, you spoke about leadership. I think when we get pushed into leadership, um, uh, I was actually pushed by an auntie who said, Marlene, you have to figure out what you've got to do, but you've got to do it. Mm-hmm. And um, it was fr- through my connections with um, Aboriginal women that I realised, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women, that I realised I had been doing it, but n- not actually had that label. And that sisterhood, titterism, titterhood, (laughs) Um, is really important. And I don't know if she's here today, but there's a titter I want to shout out to Ashley Donahue from Majengal. She's an awesome titter, and Majengal does some awesome stuff in Sydney, along with Waminda, which is um, an organisation down home that's run by Aboriginal women. And um, I'd just like to make mention, one lady who's not here, can't be with us, is, is Alira Green. She was murdered um, a few years back, and baby, she was 20 weeks pregnant at that time. So her and baby Jai, do, baby Jai died as a result of violence. So I just want to say a shout-out to Alira and her mum, who's watching too. Yeah. this. Thank you. Yeah. Um, what I was, was what I was going to ask is um, as well is I, I was overhearing this story about Auntie Jackie. You were you were talking about um, a project of uh, Dr. Marlene's um, that you kind of had to come in and um, be your amazing staunch self. Do you want to share a little bit about that, um, Marlene yourself? Mm. Even the Bell Huggins debate. I don't know if anyone... Who in the audience knows about that? No. I can't see you. Yeah, can't see you. <laughs> I've got glasses anyways. But, um, but the Bell Huggins debate was a pivotal moment for me in my PhD and my learnings as an academic but also as an Aboriginal woman and how you and distinguished professor Aileen Morton-Robinson took on the white women. Yeah. And I think that's a story that some people may not know or may have, not, um, may have forgotten about. Yeah. And I'd just like to say thank you for your warriorship in those days and um, just ask if you could share what that was like. Hmm. Sure. This was uh, back in the 80s, the 1980s, where these kind of debates um, never surfaced as much as they do now, which is great. And look, I am really pleased to see that um, back then too, um, there weren't many um, uh, other women of colour who were uh, doing that fight. We, we, we attempted to do it together, but of course, you know, our, our issues were separate as well. But we always knew that we would have um, uh, other women's 
backing, you know, they'd, they'd have our backs too. So, so um, it, it was, um, just to do it very quickly, uh, it was about, um, we'd felt the misappropriation of an Aboriginal uh, woman's um, speaking position and who, who speaks for whom. Mm-hmm. You could absolutely tell that uh, there was a, uh, <coughs> excuse me, a, um, a paper written about it um, quite academic, in fact, and, um, you know, um, sort of just um, um, strategic use of the other here was going on all the time. So we challenged them, and uh, that's still a debate that still goes on in, um, in uh, universities today. Mm-hmm. And when I... There were, there were 12 signatories to a letter that we wrote... And I said to the women, we may not realise it now, but I think we're making history. Mm -hmm. This was in the 1980s, you know, and it's still still a topic of uh, debate today. And and it heartens me to see that our young, um, you know, our First Nations women actually read it. They get it, you know. When Aileen Morton Robinson did her uh, uh, critique of that case... um, she was the only one that really spoke the truth about it and she got it. She absolutely got it because I wasn't going to put myself out there and explain it to everybody what that meant and, you know, the, um, the, the, the whole psychoanalysis of it all and, you know, what it meant for me. Um, but Aileen's... Um, uh, her study in her talking it up to the white woman in her book, uh, which was uh, her thesis for her PhD, three years later, um, then um, my first publication of Sister Girl, which I might say, um, uh, when that was done in 1998, um, the matriarchs around then for me were um, Ujuru Nunakal, she was still here with us, and uh, a great woman called uh, Ruby Langford Guinaby who was my absolute hero in terms of women writers in those days. But there weren't many around. Today we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of uh, storytellers, poets and uh, writers. And, you know, winning great, great prizes, like um, Evelyn Araluen won the Stella Prize for her poetry uh, last year. Um, um, this year, I've been long-listed for it, not Sister Girl, but to my father's Jack of Hearts book, so very happy with that. Um, and, um, you know, just the, the absolute uh, richness of our writings um, are coming out. And Sister Girl, um, for me, sold uh, in two months this time uh, what it didn't do in 24 years. So if you have a copy of that book with me with black hair, that's a classic, okay? (laughs) Keep it. I'll sign it for you, whatever. But um, the Sister Girl new edition, and people are wanting to read it, you know, and that's the difference Mm -hmm. between then and now. Mm -hmm. They didn't care. Who were we? You know, what what voice did we have? But now there is a real... um, Openness, and it's great, you know. I see Brooke here writing books uh, as well, and others, um, and I encourage you all uh, to do that. 
and uh, Marlene will have hers out next year. So please read us because uh, they'll have. Um, are you in next year? I haven't told Aunt yet. Oh, no. Well, Tila, that's great. Oh, I have for you. Um, but yeah, they're all part of She's our. She's not on social media. Truth telling. No. And that's a really good point. Can we talk about that? We can. <laughs> I hear it all, don't worry. People tell me. Go on. Talk about the the Aboriginal grapevine has not left us. (laughs) When I was pregnant, they found out in Darwin the next day. (laughs) Anyway, that was 38 years ago. But... um, no, as Tila says, not on social media. And what, what was your analysis of me and Ani Pat? Um, yeah, I spoke about patriarchal movements in our communities and um, the way in which our matriarchs still hold the authority um, of that decision-making line, despite the fact they're not on social media. Um, and I did try and unpack it, because my day job, I'm a senior Aboriginal land rights litigator, um, and that's really mm. difficult work. Yeah. Um, you know, that's very tedious at times, full on six minute billable hours and, you know, disciplined work. <laughs> and so one of the, the points of my own uh, life I'd come to was just a real, I think, sense of frustration around the which... Um, you can observe movements happening online, but, you know, it's a hashtag, hashtag land back or hashtag, um, you know, sovereignty. And I do understand the deep sense of um, power that that comes from um, without the action there or without the authority of the movement behind it, I do wonder will they ever meet in the one place when it comes to physically doing the actual hard labour of the work from where I see it, um, being a litigator. And, you know, one of the lots of land, I mean, over here at Waverton Bowling Club, I think, um, you know, that was one that the firm I worked for just got. Congratulations as well if anyone's from that firm. Um, But it's very extremely (laughs) difficult work. And so in that analysis of uh, social media movements, I did come back to this honouring of our black matriarchy and, in fact, not many of them, if any, actually, are on socials tweeting or posting on Instagram um, or going viral, but that doesn't mean the movement is not still there. And so um, I simply tried to process my own uh, thoughts around how is it then are we, I guess, honouring the legacy of these matriarchal movements when um, (laughs) there are things that go viral or whatever that might not come from a place of, of authority, but someone might have hundreds and thousands of followers and go viral and therefore have a platform or a voice. Um... 
And you'd have to probably read the entire essay to, to really grasp what um, Aunt Jackie is trying to um, get me to articulate. But it really is mm. about the fact that, you know, um, she's sitting here, or Arnie Pat Anderson at the front line mm. of um, the, the referendum movement at mm. the moment. Um, neither of them are on any handles, but they absolutely have authority. Yeah. Um, and it brings me bring you back to the point around uh, your first question, which was leadership, because I often think that Western society likes to label our leaders and it likes to handpick them. Whereas the work I do and how I see myself navigating these many different spaces doesn't come from that word. It comes from a sense of obligation and a sense of responsibility to the legacy of my ancestors. And, you know, having grown up in Gilgandra, around the campfire with my granddad and all my elders, who both my maternal and paternal sides were on separate missions, um, the, the sense of understanding that I come from a long line of those Wiradjuri and Waiwan warriors is what drives me. It's not the handle. It's not mm. the, the attention for the likes or the retweets. Um, and often that means when you are speaking out, you might be doing it and it's not popular at all. Mm. Um, but I did try and unpack this uh, sense of how our matriarchy absolutely is still intact. Um, and, you know, I still call them all up when I need to humbug them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, not only yeah. that, they pull me into line yeah. all the really. time. Yeah. <laughs> and that's really important. Yeah. And Dr. Jackie, you were saying the same thing, is you, you make contact, you know, with family back home and you talk to them and, and they do pull you up, you Ooh. know, when you need to. And, and the response to that, um, you know, being called out, pulled up, etc., mm. uh, you know, is pivotal uh, for us as mob to, to really push forward together. And uh, I wanted to circle back to, we were talking about voice, we were talking about authors, books, and obviously author, author, author. There's a couple of authors down there as well. Um, we missed it by jumping into the social media question, but I do want to talk about your book, and I'll let you talk about it um, to announce it. This might be a, you know... First. I only posted it yesterday, Aunt. Oh, so right. I was, yeah, yeah. I'm going to growl a lot because <laughs> she didn't tell me. But yeah, uh, we'd love a, we'd you. love to hear more about uh, yeah, legally black. <gasps> um, legally black. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great well, this this story really. Uh, someone said to me actually recently, like I didn't picture you writing fiction, but. Um, this story came to me uh, in the second lockdown, actually. Mm. I was locked down on my country um, with my grandma, Stella, and um, we went back up on a little road trip because Sydney was locked down at a particular point, but across the mountains, New South Wales wasn't locked down, so we were half in the half out, which meant on Wiradjuri country, we had some freedom to, um, you know, go back into the bush. Mm. So I took, my dad's like, oh, you know, I want to go back up to Piliga 
um, and Pilliga's, you know, Pilliga's scrub. It's Gomorrah country. It's not Wiradjuri country. Um, but my nan had part of her life growing up there and actually one of her, her littlest sister, um, who's now with the ancestors, uh, Gloria, actually passed away in that country and, mm. and her um, remains on that country. So we went up there and we hired just a little, like, you know, poet's corner, if you've ever been up there into Gomorrah country. And I was just sitting around having a cup of tea with my nan and my little um, kin kids, Lala and Zavi, and I just felt something inside of me going, you need to get this out. And I didn't know what it was, and I didn't know how I was going to articulate it. Um, I knew obviously part of my life is very privileged and I can't deny that. Um, having had, you know, a law degree, it comes with certain privileges, um, but it all, it'll never override the obligations I have to my people. So I really felt being back there, um, this, the enormity of uh, the history and I just sat down to write and these characters came to life. Um, one of which I guess, without revealing the entire uh, story, because I do actually, you know, you should maybe go buy it when it comes out. <laughs> but um, it's about the ma a main character and her, her name's Babagun. And Babagun in my language, Wiradjuri language means wildflower. And um, Baba Gun is gifted this name, and woven throughout the story are these lessons that her grandfather teaches her about being Baba Gun, who then goes on, you know, to the big smoke and become a lawyer. But the thrust of the argument, really, and the plot um, relates to a land rights issue, and that's all I'm going to say because um, so much of I think the language around this land back notion or uh, uh, this kind of, you know, what do we mean when we acknowledge, welcome, care for country, I had to really sit with what that meant to me as a Wiradjuri and Wawan woman. And for me, my entire childhood, since I was raised from knee high to a grasshopper, because I'm the eldest granny in the maternal kinship, was being dragged off to, to land rights spaces, in, you know, back in those days. And now, as a lawyer, um, you know, I'm dealing with the intersection of native title and land rights, but often the differences get lost. Um, when they're reduced to, I think, you know, hashtags or posts or whatever. So I'm just trying to, I think, you know, gift the nation a story where we're better able to understand the way in which often Aboriginal issues, because it is such a pressing issue in the criminal justice process, the so-called criminal justice process, I should say, or incarceration, and we're dealing with these traumatic issues all the time, um, and it is black women who are calling out those issues. I wanted to also, um, separately to that, elevate the way in which the colony, New South Wales and colonial Australia, has actually weaponised um, this area of property law. Mm. And in fact, you know, the Crown has, has dispossessed us mm. of this land that is inherently ours. <laughs> so that's 
That's the story, Legally Black, and Dabagan explores that. Beautiful. Well, you heard it here first. Uh, Thank you so much, Liz, for sharing that. Um, Look, I'm I'm in absolute awe, and we were talking about privilege before. I think um, not only myself, I feel like everyone here is super, super privileged uh, to be able to share a space uh, that all three of you are in. Um, speaking of, the, like, I guess, the content of uh, this panel is we're talking about matriarchs and we're talking about movements. Um, and one of the questions that have, that have sort of sprung to mind is we're talking about living in two, maybe three worlds for some of us. And a lot of the movements that we've had as blackfellas um, has been off the, the huge um, work, labour of First Nations women. Feminist movements uh, in Australia or... Movements for women's rights in Australia um, have been both led by Indigenous and non-Indigenous women. How do you see the two in, like, intersecting? Um, Marlene, I'll go to you first. Do you want the long or short answer? <laughs> <laughs> um, feminism. <sighs> I'm not a feminist, so but but I won't ba- I won't bash them too much, but. You know, it's, it's one of those things that I think when we, when we talk about feminism in the white sense, it's like the first wave, second wave, third wave. We've been doing this for about 60,000 years. So 60,000 waves, you know, of years of, of um, matriarchy and matrilineal um, leadership. Um, my community is very matrilineal. It's very much about the, the women are the strength and the backbone, but... We take leadership, but we're not necessarily the big boss. You know, we're always together as one. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the that's the issue. When it comes to um, feminism, I think um, Professor Morton Robinson talks about the fact that Aboriginal women's rights and and that is about responsibility, whereas white women's feminism is about rights, and that's a very different mm-hmm. positionality to be in society. And if I can take you back in history to the AAPA, um, to Aunty Jane Duran from down at Maria, she was she was one of the matriarchs um, in the AAPA in the 1925s. But there were also two Aboriginal women, one from La Perouse here in Sydney, and one from down um, along the border communities of New South Wales and Victoria. And I came across them in, in my PhD research and Annie Annie Bowden wrote a letter to the Sydney Morning... I think it was a Sydney Telegraph then, um, discounting, uh, again, another white woman who was telling stories about Aboriginal people who were skin and Aboriginal babies and, you know, different stories like that. So Annie Annie Bowden actually um, spoke back to that in the 1920... 1923. And then um, Anna Morgan, Mrs Anna Morgan, in the 1930s, um, she was another one who spoke up at a, Aborig- at, at, a, at a white woman's rights march. And that was about white women getting paid equal. And she was there talking about Aboriginal women and who are we and what are we. Mm. And also about the fight, which is very similar to what we're still talking about today. So as we see um, uh, the movements progress throughout the generations um, and, we, and we stand with and, and um, those that, that were before us, it's very much about responsibility. Um, I remember that one auntie said to me um, when I was doing my master's degree, she said, Marlene, you know, you and your sisters, your cousins, you've got to step up. And I was like, dang, what does that mean? <laughs> I was like, 
what? You know, that's a big responsibility there, and I'm just not sure I'm ready for that. Yeah. So it's this thing of understanding that sometimes when, you, when you're given that little nudge, you just got to figure it out and, and work out where it is. And that's the difference between a feminist and an Aboriginal matriarchal or matrilineal process of leadership. And I think to call myself a feminist would discount thousands of years of history um, and also um, drawing on uh, a Native American scholar, Audra Simpson, she talks about the restoration of power. And I think rather than us talking about empowerment, we need to restore the power. And that comes from within. And then people need to accept that we will tell the stories that people find difficult. And um, we will tell the truth um, when we do have these platforms and, um, you know, you can't move... Everyone talks about reconciliation and all these things moving forward, but you can't do it without telling the truth and accepting it, no matter how hard it is to hear. Yeah. So, with so many injustices, so many fights, like, seriously, if we un- sit here and unpack everything that we've got to try to improve uh, or progress or even just get common, uh, you know even the, the smallest crumbs sometimes in, in different areas. How do we, and how do you, how do you all, um, how do you choose the battles that you fight? Can I just, um, just very quickly, uh, just in relation to what yep. Marlene has said, of um, it's always been my position that no matter how battered and bruised and uh, disadvantaged Aboriginal um, women have always been, we have never, ever lost that inner core of us, which is about our personal prestige, mm. autonomy and independence, mm. you know? We hold that very, uh, very sacred. So that's a given, mm. and Aboriginal women have always been the backbone of our community. It's an old cliche, but it's very true. Mm. You ask any Aboriginal man who is his role model, he will say his mother or his grandmother. Mm-hmm. Usually that is the case. But, um, and, and just in relation to, um, you know, our, 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 in, in terms of feminism, our issues are very different. Mm-hmm. Very, very different. You know, okay, equal pay rise, and that, that's all very good. You know, but um, as Teela said, Aboriginal women, the fastest growing prison population, not only in this country, but the world. Shame. The world. Shame. It is a big shame. So our, our issues are very, have been very, very different. And, uh, you know, back in the days of domestics, which all our women had to do, whether our grandmothers, our aunties, great-grandmothers, our mothers. In those days of domestics, you know, Mm. when white women were fighting to get out of the kitchen, Mm. we were fighting to get in. Mm. And we're still fighting to get in there. So there is that difference and there's still those struggles. Um, I would say certainly, you know, a lot more collaboration that we see at the moment, allyship, whatever you call it. And some of my best friends are white women, you know. (laughs) They really are. (laughs) So things have changed, but 
still a long way to go, ladies and gentlemen. Mm. And I think, you know, just the actual reality and the seriousness and I think the legacy of what we've endured here is still very real to us as black fellas. I think it's easy for white fellas to go, oh, you know, it's happened in the past when it, when it actually didn't. We're still really living um, the way what our old people endured. Like, you know, my, my granddad, for example, was born under our traditional birthing tree. And that is such a sacred process. That's not feminism. <laughs> the placenta of his mum went back into the root of that tree. And I think until we actually can grow our conversations in this country to a point that understands our sovereignty is so sacred and the institutions that have come up and over on top of this, you know, I work in a profession that's one of them. It's very difficult. It's dominated by the white patriarchy. Um, and the power and privilege of whiteness is still very real in mm. Australia. Um, the white supremacy um, is everywhere. Mm. We only have to look at the last couple of days and a white kid said something racist to a black Aboriginal man. And I think those instances really have to stop us in our tracks and go, um, where are then the white feminists calling this out? Mm. Because it's only been the black women I've seen um, calling it out. Mm. Where mm. are, you know, the white feminists who label themselves as the leading feminists here at All About Women? Are they sitting in this room listening to a black matriarch? Um, the the seriousness of the urgency about where we're at as a nation cannot be lost on us in this moment. And we are coming to a very big reckoning in relation to um, if we simply stop and do not pay attention to what is happening and what we are cultivating in this country if children are still saying the racist, racial slurs that we're seeing, we are such a morally bankrupt country. Mm. And you can travel anywhere else in the world um, and get a strong sense of, you know, if you're in Urotorua, the Maldi people, or if you're in Scandinavia, you know, um, the, the First Nations across different continents have such a more central role in the national narrative. Um, I travel, I get asked, oh, is there black people down there? Mm. You know, it's just so shame, I think, the symbols that represent this country, um, the flag, the anthem, we actually need to start having bigger conversations about who we are as a country because we cannot continue to go down this path of creating children that think it's okay in a public forum to yell out racial slurs. And I want to challenge, you know, 
the white feminists, and they're probably not actually in this room, they're probably outside of it, mm-hmm. um, who, who do stand on a pedestal and absorb this power that comes with their uh, platforms, um, what role are they doing to disrupt, dismantle and seriously get rid of this? Because until this nation actually deals with the racism um, and, and let me tell you, like, the, the travels that I've done to almost every corner of this continent, um, we do have a long way to go. Um, and I do believe, though, there is such enormous faith. I mean, a little example is this. I run this like, little handle called At Black Follow Book Club and we just set, share First Nations stories. And we are so overwhelmed um, every day. And the co-founder is Marinda Dutton, a Gumbangi and Barkindji woman. And the amount of I th- you know, interaction we get from non-Indigenous Australians feeling so robbed of the truth of this history, mm. um, it's not lost on me. Mm how far we have to go. But at the same time, um, there is a wave now, I think, of people who are showing initiative in reading books like Arnie Jackie's, um, Eileen Morton Robinson, so many storytellers that I don't even want to say because there's amazing work out there. But absorb First Nations stories so that you can go out and continue this conversation because we can't be in every room. When you know better, you do better, I feel. Um, There's a lot of questions coming in about the voice. Mm. Uh, (laughs) But there's a couple. There's a couple. Um, We can keep it quite light. Um, Are they coming from Twitter? Because we can block them on. (laughs) And speaking of the voices of Mm. the voice at the moment, this discussion, um, one of these questions that have come in really intrigued me right now is we're seeing a lot of the promotion of not necessarily enough... Uh, sorry, not necessarily content that's helpful for anyone, but what we're seeing is, you know, public debates between two First Nations women that are in Parliament right now. I'm not sure if I can say their names or not, Um, but it's quite easy to guess who I'm talking about. Um, The question is, you know, they're both considered quite divisive in a political sense, but do they... Is this more harm than it is good for our movement collectively? Oh, look, I think everyone, everyone has a right to be heard and their opinion, and um, there are constituencies of both those people that uh, we're talking about uh, that are very strong and uh, go with them. Um, I just want to caution everybody to um, make sure that you're not fed a diet of uh, mis- or dis-information. Mm. Please, you know, just just look at the facts, and um, you know, you'd be able to decipher uh, what's there. Um, for me, I uh, I do support uh, the Yes campaign. Uh, I'm on the uh, well, both. I'm going to drop Teeler in here, and I um, on the referendum um, uh, processes that we have now uh, in um, in our country. And for me, uh, you know, and I'll circle back to being a black matriarch, I have seen this country. I have seen our people suffer, continually suffer, because no one is listening to us. 
They are not hearing us. Their belongs, their ears are blocked. Nothing is working, people. We just need to look at the statistics, okay? We need to look at the statistics and go through them. They're factual. So make sure you get informed. If you haven't read it, do read the Uluru Statement from the Heart, which talks about voice, treaty and truth. I've been very much involved in the treaty processes in Queensland, of which now um, we're given $300 million from the state government two budgets ago to process that. So things are happening. I'm not into what comes first, whether it's the treaty or whether it's the, uh, whether it's the voice. Whatever opportunity is there at the moment, we take it. These gates are open for us. But I don't want to live and I don't want to see next year a, 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 an issue where we have tried so much to get another mechanism in place because the others haven't worked, nothing has worked just give it a shot. I wanted to come back to what you were saying before about women that aren't in the room. And um, you gave some great advice. I think a lot of people here in the room have learnt so much uh, this afternoon from, from all three of you. Um, I wanted to ask, and it's a, it's a prolific question that's coming through as well, um, for those who aren't in the room and then for those who, who, are, uh, who are non-Indigenous people... How, how do they collectively support our movements as mob? Look, white people have to literally do their own work. And, you know, it, it's undeniable that we are at an enormous point in history. I think everyone's feeling the weight of that. Um, and I want to say this though I have I wake up every morning I'm very hard headed about what I'm going to do what my obligations are and the vision I want for my family my kinship kids and what is the way in which I contribute to the legacy um, of the First Nations fight and struggle. I know there's probably more questions incoming about the voice and treaty, and I know Arnie um, touched on her point of view. Just like there are different dissenting cases around this, and just like there are different yes arguments, at the end of the day, it's my firm belief that every First Nations voice matters, and that We wake up every day and we have to listen to white people argue at question time, but no one's calling for them to be abolished or silenced. Mm. The voice is a very simple proposition. Mm. It's simply calling for a mechanism that will have a profound impact on the many different First Nations. And... I've raised this in different rooms with many different elders and politicians around what I'll be hard-headed about. And it's the fact that the call to action that 
Australians have overwhelmingly accepted, as a result of as well, the new government coming into power. It's the fact that they are also accepting the invitation for a First Nations voice. This is a very important point to be made because I'm consciously aware in my practice and in my personal life the way in which language has been weaponized against our people. And if you've followed my work in the past few months, I have not joined the Yes campaign at this point. I have written about the importance of the First Nations voice and the government's mandate to adopt specific language mm. to meet that invitation. And people say, oh, you know, what's it going to do about racism? Racism is written into it. It's founded. In Australia was founded on racism. One mm -hmm. of my roles as part of kind of the work leading up to this was actually to, to facilitate the conversation about, you know, if white people are asking what should they be doing, do you know you have a race power that basically says it can discriminate against us? Mm -hmm. And so it's actually quite a sophisticated proposition. And the proposition is, well, if you can make racist laws about us, we want to provide a mechanism that ameliorates the damage you're now doing. Because mm -hmm. status quo politics mm -hmm. is not closing the gap. The gap is, in fact, getting wider. And it's my belief as well, no First Nations voice has to fix colonization's problems. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... I'll be very clear where we're at. We're in the month of March. The government is doing work right now as we speak, and it will put to the people um, very soon what they want Australians to answer. It must be a First Nations voice for that to be consistent. And then separately to that, you know, there are treaty processes happening around the country. I myself have had the the privilege of living in Turtle Island um, and within uh, the First Nations communities there who deal with the challenges still um, of their treaties processes. But the reality is in Australia, we live in a colony um, within which the federal parliament will always be able to override the jurisdictions. And so unless we do secure a mandate from the people of Australia, that the First Nations voice exists into the future, despite any government, then, you know, everything else is going to be vulnerable to Parliament, mm -hmm. the status quo. And I'll say this final point. There's lots of debate happening at the moment about, well, why do white people even get a say on this? They get a say every single day anyway. Mm -hmm. They're voting for black politicians to be in Parliament. Mm -hmm. In my view, it's a null and void argument. The point is, we need Australians to step up and educate themselves. You need to call out the racists in your own <coughs> networks because that is standing in solidarity with us and not making us lift the load every single day because, honestly, this colony is, is very tiring. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for all of the, the work that you do, uh, Tila, and, and the, the rest of the panellists as well. Um, noting that we definitely have gone over time, but... Oh, sorry. It's our land, so we can do it. <laughs> <laughs>
but I will uh, meet you halfway and ask a final question. Unfortunately, we do have to wrap this up. Um, I've really, really enjoyed this um, panel. To be honest, I've been really lost in, in everything that all three of you um, have been discussing. So I'm going to be quite selfish here with the last question uh, for our black women. Uh, holding, carrying the load of our people, our culture, um, is tough. How do you do it? And do you have advice uh, for your younger self or uh, any young titters out there in the, in the audience? Um, it doesn't really necessarily have to apply to movements or being a matriarch, but just general advice. Okay. Um, how do we do it? Oh, geez. Anna, you said, you know, we get battered and bruised and, and that, and we just got to stand up and keep calm. Mm-hmm. And that's reality for us. I'm a survivor mm. of violence myself. So the stuff that I do is around women's um, experiences of violence. I, I look at coronial reports, death data around suicide. Um, you know, um, the carceral feminists need to be called out in this space too, Teela. Um, they need to be... Um, they're the ones I think that I would like to have a shot at um, <laughs> because they, they seek to um, push the barrel for punitive measures and, and more police and all those sorts of things. So we're, 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 in, a, we're in a really important movement and a moment in time with the voice, but don't, also don't forget that there are women out there, Aboriginal women, who are still needing help and support. Yeah. Um, our kids are still being removed and our kids are still being racially profiled and targeted. And this is where we need um, white people to stand up and stand in allyship with us. we just got to do it. You know, it's just... It's, it's hard. It's hard work, but, you know, it wears you down. But that's what the sisterhood and the titterism does. It holds that safe space and that collective space to keep you going. And, um, yeah, we all have moments. I'm, I'm often um, in the horrors going in the horrors, crying, you know, but that's just the reality of the work. So when we talk about this, uh, we don't knock off at five on a Friday. You know, we're not too far removed that when an incident happens with the police or a child is removed, we're not too far away from that child or from that person. And in Queensland this week in particular, I just want to make a shout-out as well to the family who... Um, lost a loved one in a police cell who their inquest was going was happening this week so there's all these sorts of things that happen and just as uh, as black followers we hold each other mm. and we've got to remember that you know <coughs> our grandmothers and our aunties and that did it before us so we've got to stand up and do it too mm. beautiful beautiful I get a Taylor next, um, and we'll finish. I'll be quick. Um, yeah. yeah, I'll be quick. I just, I just love being black. Yeah. Like, it's just that's where the power comes from. That's what I tell my little kin kids: just be proud of it. And that's you know where their authority <coughs> comes from. And no matter what happens to us, at the end of the day, we still got black love. Yeah. Mm. Thank you for leaving the last word to me. It's lovely. <laughs> um, I just want to say that um, if you are fortunate to go back to your country, mm. I do that. I try to do that two times a year now in central Queensland, a little place called Carnarvon Gorge. That's where my ancestral uh, maternal line comes from. 
I try to get out there, uh, stay in the bush, just uh, let that uh, country speak to me and I speak to it about everything. So um, that for me has been uh, one of the best things. I also hold my family and my dear, dear friends very close. Um, uh, but I also have that, that group of titters that I, that I consult, um, that I, um, you know, I can come to Sydney and I see some of my titters, um, that the networks are there. And particularly now, I just love the, the uh, ability to be growing into a matriarch with hope and wisdom that um, I have seen in uh, people like my mother and grandmother and all others. So that's where um, um, I'm heading at the moment. I just love the fact that, um, you know, there are the new generation, that next generation of uh, matriarchs that are coming up. And um, uh, finally, 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 I would love to see change in our country. A change that um, we can all be united within rather than divided. And I know that this is possible and we can do this hopefully by the end of the year. So thank you. Thank you so much thank for joining so much. us today at the Sydney Opera House. Thank you so much to the All About Women uh, Festival. I hope you all enjoy the rest of your afternoon and night. And um, yeah. don't forget to, to tune in quite closely to these three. And uh, yeah, they have, thanks. Watch this talk and others from All About Women 2023 on stream, the streaming platform from the Sydney Opera House. Register for free now and start watching at stream.sydneyoperahouse.com. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again soon with more ideas at the house.